PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to welcome in Craig Bowlerjack. His weekly interview presented by University of Utah Health, trusted health care provider for the Utah Jazz family and yours. Bowler, good morning. Hey, DJ, PK. How are you? Great. Bowler, I think we have been impressed. Maybe a little surprised, but not too much. Don't oversell that. At uh, the Jazz getting on this six-game win streak. I guess not surprised that they've had a six-game win streak. If you said at the start of the year, do you think the Jazz will have a six-game win streak? A lot of people would have said yes. But it's come so quickly and so easily after a rough patch where they lost two games in New York. They could have won either one or both of them, I think. That's what people thought when those games tipped off. Right. And then it didn't work out that way. I don't want to say it's as easy as flipping a light switch because it's not, but it does seem like it happened pretty quickly. Any explanation for what brought it together and they went from, how could they lose those games in New York like that to, wow, they look awesome. <laughs> how, how did we make that turn oh, so quickly? That, that's, that's really, you're, it's, it's what I heard you know, from everybody. I can't believe it, New York, you know, what happened. Um, we don't, we're not, uh, we're really not that good. But yes, all of a sudden, you said it, the light switch turned on. You know what? You know, I always say from my chair, but, you know, from my from my observation, it's just you've got balance. You've, you've had defense that started all this, and then the three-point shot of the offense. And then, of course, you get the, um, you get the debate of does defense start offense or does offense start defense. It's really a combination in my book. Uh, and you see the energy that comes from that. And – DK, DJ, honestly, I'm still amazed of just the, the, the power of the three ball and the energy that it brings. You know, you get it when you start it early, and I think that's been a key here, too, is that the Jazz have been able to start games that, you know, I think lay the foundation of dominance and also just the tempo that they're running with. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pieces to this moving part, but, Conley, comfortable. Donovan starting to really find, you know, his groove in his fourth year. And then Boyan, slow start, the injury, I think working through it mentally and now finding his, you know, his comfort level and his confidence. And all of a sudden, too, the bench has played a big part uh, during this streak as well. Clarkson's, you know, has just been a dynamic player. And George Niang, um, that's a name that struggled, right? In the first uh, six games of the season, you wondered what was up. Uh, he went through what he told us, a little meditation. And all of a sudden, uh, he's been a spark as well with favors. So it's really a combination of all of this. And this team just seems to be, uh, you know, balanced, confident. And that's what it has, what you have to have. Plus, they're healthy. Joe's back after sitting out four games. Uh, with the sore Achilles, and he didn't miss a beat um, the other night against uh, against the, the Pelicans. So when I look at this team this year versus last year after 10-11 games, I see significant differences, and I think I can pinpoint as to why it is. Maybe I can't pinpoint as to why they lost those couple of ball games in New York, but I can pinpoint why it is better now, and I look at it, because it's basically the same cast of characters. You just added or re-added Derek Favors, not added, but re-added. Everybody else is literally the same. And you, Donovan, you can put him on any team anywhere on the planet, and he's going to be a star. Already a 
so it doesn't really matter with him. But I look at Conley, all right? You already used the word that I've been using all along. He's just simply more comfortable. And I think that's what it boils down to is that guys are more comfortable slash familiar with their roles. Joe Ingles last year coming off the bench, and he said this. I asked him this very question. He acknowledged it last year uh, after had prior been starting then he's in a new role now he's not in a new role he's in a role that he already was in so you add to that comfortability factor and then you look at Boyan. obviously all sorts of familiar with what he needs to do and i think last year at this time maybe i'm misremembering but niang was sort of in and out as far as playing time well now he knows hey he's probably going to get 15, 16 minutes, and you're going to get an opportunity to do your thing. So just the familiarity of everything compared to this time last year has led to a team that compared, even though they're the same guys, is a lot better. You know, with Niang too, PK, remember Jeff Green and Ed Davis, uh, Ed was finally, right. you know, uh, put to the bench, and that allowed Tony Bradley to get minutes, but Jeff, uh, his departure really allowed George Niang to, to know his role. Great uh-huh. point. And now he's had four consecutive games and double figures. And you know what? When you realize, I think it points well taken, when, when you realize what your role is and the minutes that you're going to get instead of spot time and maybe cleanup time, but you're actually going to be a, a major player in rotation minutes, that makes a big difference. And then getting back to Mike Conley, you know, Thurl and, and Matt and I have talked a lot about that. It's an amazing thing to see a player who totally gets that it doesn't have to be the Memphis guard that he once was for 12 years, that he understands that Donovan will, will take the ball, bring it into front court, the same with Clarkson, the same with Joe at times. Um, and, and so – I think he, he gets it. He doesn't have to be the trigger man 24-7. He's off ball quite a bit, but when he is you know, running the show, he just gets it. And you look at his assists and you look at his shooting, and his three-point shot, too, has improved incredibly well. And I think that those are, those are all factors in all this. And it sounds simple, doesn't it? But in reality, good teams uh, kind of – I think play with that sixth sense, and there's a lot of that going on right right now, especially in the six-game winning streak. They they look good. They don't panic. I think DJ's another part of this. They may uh, get you know they, this 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 league is a game of runs, and we've seen that a lot. And the Jazz have built leads. They've let some of them fade, but yet they don't panic, and they're able to build them back and and win games and especially on the road. I mean they they're trying to establish, and they can with this homestand established home court dominance they played extremely well uh, on the road in fact what second best i think road road record in the nba behind the lakers so that's pretty impressive so i guess the thing that's still out there for all of us though is what happens when uh, a long athletic team comes in plays with a lot of energy and switches everything because that seems like the biggest hurdle for the Jazz to clear. And a lot of times, obviously, they haven't cleared it. I mean, we know about the playoff series with Houston and that kind of stuff. Well, is this the is this the conversation where you finally play Rudy and, and Derek Favors, you know, together for more than just spot minutes, but actually would Quinn uh, see the matchup and would he actually make a start or would you make a quick substitution? 
to negate that, DJ? That's a great question. We're going to see it. The Lakers obviously are a big team in that regard. Philadelphia, uh, you know, the league is, I think, still kind of trending to just what the Jazz are doing, and that's pace and really you take the numbers off every player, not a point, not a shooting guard or a forward or what have you, except for Gobert, who's obviously a true center. But, you know, you're just a basketball player. But there's so many good bigs even in the 6'9 category, 6'10 category, that can shoot the three. But, um, you know, Favors has done, I think, what he was brought in here to do, and that's be the backup to Gobert, defend, rebound, get to offensive putbacks, and, you know, is he going to score a lot? Some nights, yes. Some nights, no. Is he going to play 14 to 20? Some nights, yes. Some nights, no. But I think he is the key moving forward, especially when you start playing more Western Conference teams. Uh, and there's a, there's a couple of teams with bigger, you know, bigger lineups. And Faves, I think, is going to play a role in that. When do I start to worry about Go- Gobert regressing at the free throw line? Well, how about now? Um, it's, it's, it, okay. He has regressed. And, you know, I don't know. Yesterday was a day of what was it, uh, do what you need to do day. Uh, that's kind of what's going to happen throughout this year with the short schedule or the short days off in between these games when, when players can go in and work on what they want to work on. But, uh, PK, as you guys know, DJ, you know, there's a mental part of this, and you start to lose that first of two. The front end shot seems to be, you know, the one he's missing. And then, of course, it can cascade down. And last time I checked, around 48, 47%. And he was a 62 or 63% last year. So that's a drop off. And that, you know, he's going to be fouled, too. And that's something that, again, when, when he was a younger player, the hack go bear, you know, kind of discussion that was uh, made. And he kind of was able to quell that with, with pretty good free throw percentage. Uh, he's going to have to improve that. There's no, no doubt because he's going to find himself at the free throw line a lot. Why? Because he plays at the rim and players are going to put him to the line. That's just the way it is. So he's going to have to improve that. Um, and that's that's kind of stuck out a little bit, in fact, a lot right now. So it would be a big step to take, but it's a step that might be necessary at some point. Favors can make free throws. Is he going to have to close close games? Well, you know what? You, you, you brought up a point that hasn't been discussed yet, but at times, yeah, I, it's, it's something we saw when Derek was here the first time, uh, and it caused Rudy to question you know, what, why, and what was going on. But, you know, when you are going to be fouled in critical tight game situations, those are decisions Quinn, Quinn is going to have to make again. We saw it before. PK, I believe that that was a discussion point you guys had, and we, just, we talked about it uh, two years ago uh, when those two were still playing um, before the trade to New Orleans. So, you know, I guess we'll sit back and see. It's going to be up to Rudy to reestablish again. I don't think there's any panic. I, you know, Quinn's not the one to say that or ever indicate that. Uh, but yeah, in, in tight game situations, it could be an issue, and that's where Favors would come in and be a a more confident free throw shooter. And we saw that uh, when he was here the first time back. 
I think Denver is not nearly as good as they were last year. I think they lost some critical components led by Grant. And so they've slipped. Uh, You saw them the other night. What do you think? No, I'm with you. I mean, Torrey Craig, uh, you know, was a defender and a a good player. Um, And Jeremy Grant, right? Um, Yeah, those are two, I thought, big pieces that they did not hold on to. And... Look, Jokic is uh, one of the most interesting talents that you can find in the league uh, with passing, rebounding, three-point shooting, and and what led the uh, when we played them was leading the you know leading the league in assists at over 10, 10 plus a night. That's incredible for a seven-footer <clears throat> to see the floor that well and get his teammates involved. But yeah, there seemed to be a gap that the Jazz. What I'm seeing has a second unit that is not losing leads, and if they have, they're able to 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 rebound. PK, and what I saw with Denver was a the dependence on those two, Jamal Murray and uh, Jokic, is so extreme. They don't have a lot of punch after that first that first blast of offense, and uh, they lost they lost they lost that. Uh, you know, in the off season. So, uh, do they trade? Do they? You know, what do they do to 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 right the ship? Because they're they're they've got stars, obviously, but good teams, great teams, have the secondary unit that comes in and is able to hold leads. And I didn't see that with Denver the other night. We'll see them again, by the way, on on a Sunday night uh, in Denver at the end of the month. So, to win on the road in Denver, by the way, that's 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 a big one. That was a big win, and. Uh, you know, kind of established. I thought the Jazz again as as a as a player in the West and uh, made a statement for sure. Bowler, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on, guys. Always um, have a good weekend. Uh, jazz tonight, which we were calling it, but uh, we'll be back at it Saturday. All right, we'll talk to you again next week. Take care, guys. Craig Bullerjack's weekly interview presented by University of Utah Health, trusted health care provider for the Utah Jazz family and yours. With 16 neighborhood health centers, U of U Health has a game plan for your family's care. Visit uofuhealth.org slash jazz. Coming up, Dennis Dodd, national college football writer for CBSSports.com, joins us next. He talked to Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott after the news broke that Larry is out June 30th. We will talk with Dennis next about Larry and where the Pac-12 goes from here. Stay with us. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Larry Scott, Pac-12 Commissioner, is out. The announcement last night, effective June 30th. That's a year earlier than his contract, but it allows them to get a new commissioner in place. It allows the new commissioner to get a team together and start focusing. And anytime you got to focus on the all-important TV contract, 
That's a positive, PK, because they got to get that right. There's other things they have to get right. We had Dr. Chris Hill on, former Utah athletic director, and uh, he checked several boxes where he thinks things need to be done. But obviously, getting the money from the TV contract is right at the top of the list. Oh, yeah. And I think the perception of the conference really, really matters because it's been beleaguered. Yep. And that has to change. I mean, everything you hear and read, it's always negative about this conference. And it falls to the lap of Larry Scott. So obviously his dismissal was inevitable, as Chris Hill alluded to. And now uh, I don't want to be dramatic, but it's somewhat of a crossroads here uh, to where they've got to get this thing right and get it going to a, a much higher level. It doesn't mean that it's just out in the middle of nowhere and it's lost forever by any stretch. Because when you're playing games, like from the Utah perspective, and you're in the race in November, the place is hopping, things are looking great. So it's a conference issue, but it also boils down to your individual situation too. Like right now, Arizona football is a mess. We'll compound it. Well, Utah football is not a mess. It's in a good spot. I saw somebody uh, pick them to go to the Rose Bowl. That's two t- two guys that I've seen in the last week who've picked him to win the conference. And if you win the conference, at worst, you're going to the Rose Bowls as long as the Rose Bowls uh, not in one of the playoffs, which it isn't next year. Maybe even you go to the playoffs. So your individual situation for the Utes is looking pretty good. And but nevertheless, this situation here, you got to get it better. It's got to be perceived to be. Better. And a lot of it is perception, that's for sure. But it's not all perception. There's some nuts and bolts things that they need to do and make sure that they do get done. Yeah, Chris was up for moving the conference office out of San Francisco. The perception that you're blowing money on that is bad. Uh, he didn't have a preference as far as Salt Lake, Phoenix, or Las Vegas. They've all been thrown out there uh, as suggestions, and they'd all be less expensive. He was really big on reviving the Pac-12 Big Ten Challenge. Thinks the Pac-12 could do well in that and would improve their brand name. And maybe you can't beat Ohio State at the top, but if you've got like teams of relatively, you know, relatively similar place in the conference as far as you know, top of the league, bottom of the league, middle of the league, and if you're winning a majority of them, your conference gets a positive run out of that. And as you point out, yeah. there just isn't much of that going on. Okay, so sure, that sounds good, but you know, I want to take a supermodel out. Unless <laughs> she says yes, we're not going. Uh, well, he was so, big on the eighth game, and so all this stuff has to be negotiated. And, you know, Larry Scott said this. It just doesn't sound good coming from him because he was getting paid the big money. But it is a combination of good leadership and then collaboration because everybody's got to be going in the same direction. And not everybody wants to go from nine games to eight, and not everybody wanted to play uh, a Big Ten game every year. Yeah, I, well, I, I don't think the Big Ten is going to go for it. I, I just think that the Pac-12 needs to get off its high horse. And that's what it's on. It loves, and I listen to ADs and Ray Anderson, my guy. I've got a friend who's a real good friend of his, and he loves to tell you that they're a comprehensive athletic program. Okay, great, sure. Their water polo teams are probably going to win the national title. I don't, I don't know who it's going to be, but it's either going to be uh, UC Los Angeles or Stanford, probably. <laughs> and that's good. But nobody gives a crap about that. <laughs> and that's just the fact. No one cares. No one cares about it unless you are on the team or you're a parent or family member or a girlfriend or boyfriend, whatever it might be. Then you care. But the rest of us just don't care. So stop selling that because nobody's buying it. 
and do what's in the best interest of football. And then, as Chris said, you can still have that because that there's no reason for that to go away. Everything is already in place for all those teams that, like Stanford, just cleans house. You go up on Stanford's campus, and they've got a wall of national titles, and you can look at it, and it's just one after another. And all these big names, men's tennis, John McEnroe, men's golf, Tiger Woods, you know, on and on. I mean, the the highest levels they've got, and their facilities are great. And that's awesome. That doesn't have to go away. But you need to set it up so you give your football teams the best opportunity to compete at the highest level because it is dangerous when Clemson and Alabama are starting quarterbacks next year, and that's what they're on target to do where both of them are from Southern California. I've been saying this for years in terms of Stanford, been able to recruit uh, nationally, which they have to do, and it's easier for them to do, so it explains why they've been better because of all the stuff. And then we had Jeff Grimes, who said this earlier when we had him on as he was leaving BYU to go down to Baylor, the world is smaller with FaceTime. He talked about how he his daughter is going to college in Oklahoma and he can FaceTime her and feel like he's right there. And in his day, you had to go down to the dorm lobby and use a calling card to call your parents. <laughs> I mean, that might as well have been 100 years ago, and we're using styrofoam with uh, strings attached or something. Well, that's not the world we live in now. So these programs are easily able to come into your backyard and get these players. And we and I've talked about it for, let's see, we've been doing the show for 19 years. I've talked about it for 30 years, about uh, ASU can't retain anybody. Ohio State's going to lose Justin Fields to the NFL. Well, who's going to be their quarterback most likely? Jack Miller. Where'd he play his high school ball? In the valley of my hometown. And on and on and on. And it's one thing at least to keep them in the conference, but it's another thing to, to leave them out of the conference. You get no benefit out of that and you actually get detriment. And so the Pac-12 has got to find a way to turn that around. Well, it's not, and it's bad enough that it's the Valley of the Sun, but when it starts happening in the number one and probably number two and number three recruiting areas for the conference in LA and Southern California, that's even worse. And now it's happening. And, and it's not the only place in a footprint. You know, Hawaii's closer to the Pac 12 than anywhere else, but Hawaii has an elite quarterback and he goes to Alabama. And so it's just, it's one yeah, after, it's one I mean, after I can another. understand that, though. I mean, I. I Hawaii leaving has LA, no, leaving has no LA. connection to, to California. Yeah. Leaving L.A. is the worst. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I, and I just think they have to change all that. And they've got to make it so it's cool to stay, every, stay home. Everything you want is right here in our conference. Well, right now, you can't say that. And well, it can't be done. It just, it, it'll erode over time. One of the other things Chris Hill uh, pushed hard, he had several ideas when we had him on. Uh, one of the other things he pushed hard for is the playoff just has to go to eight teams. And he didn't spell it out, but I think if it goes to eight, A, it increases your odds of getting in, but B, you know, do you put in five conference champs? And do you restructure the conference title game so instead of having division champs, which honestly I prefer, but I think you just got to look at the reality of it and say, the reason they don't want to put conference champs is they're afraid some eight-win team wins a division in a lopsided conference and then pulls off a shocker and they're in the playoff and they don't really belong. And so you got to reorganize the conference championship game, forget the divisions, and have the top two teams play each other, and then you're probably not going to have an eight-win team in there. You're probably going to have two pretty good teams, ranked teams. They're probably going to be 
you know, 10 wins. Yeah, I, I've not been in favor of the divisions myself for a good long while. <clears throat> I don't really see the benefit toward it. I mean, it sounds good because it's sort of the pro model, but really, no, don't. Don't get your two best teams. If they so happen to be in what was previously known as the North region, so be it. That's only going to be beneficial. It's not going to to harm the conference. I don't see the point of doing that. It doesn't make any sense to me, and that's one of the things that they need to do. But who decides who's going to, how the, that they're going to expand the playoff? Because I don't see any reason for the ACC and the SEC to be in on it. Why? I don't see why the ACC would be in on it. I think the SEC would be in on it because they think it gives them a better chance of getting uh, two or three teams in. They're already getting two teams. Uh, they have. They don't all the time. I think at eight they could, and they would. And also I think everybody makes more money. It would, it yeah, would but hurt th- that's the whole point. You don't want everybody to make more money. Well, you want would. you to make more money, well, but you don't would. want them to make more money. They would make, well, <laughs> everybody would make more money. But you don't want the uh, right now. You own the Pac-12. They are not a threat. Anytime you play their schools, SC, you kick the crap out of them. So that's one less conference you got to worry about. Why throw them a bone? What's in it for you? You want to make more money? Sell more money, and you'll make more money. I think they have budget deficits, and it's a way to make more money. So I think they'd be up for it. Well, they weren't this year. When the one year when they could have done it easily, they weren't. Well, maybe they won't. And maybe we'll be sitting on four forever, but I, I don't think we will be. I don't know that it'll go to eight either. It might go to six first. You know, that's, that's a possibility. I think that there's an argument out there that number one, is, uh, there are too many years where number one is just torching number four in a semifinal and that there really are three elite teams. And so why, why will we want one to play eight? Yeah, we, we don't want that. Right. And so, so, why, so it may not happen. I, I see, That's why it could be a I don't see six. Ohio State and, and SEC or Clemson being all for it. Because if they were, they would have already done it. Right. And they but didn't the, do it. But the entirety of the league might be because it might be their path to get in. If you're in the SEC and think, how often are we going to win the conference and get past Alabama and get in this thing? If it's an eight-team tournament, maybe we can get in it as an at-large when we have a good team and we're 11-1 and one or 12-1. and one, and Alabama gets the bid, and, and we don't get to go. Okay, so you get to go, whoop de doo and then you get worked. That's just another <laughs> embarrassing loss. Go to a high-level bowl game and kick the crap out of somebody else. I mean, I, I, obviously they have not had any interest in doing it yet because they haven't, and I don't think it's a slam dunk because I think everyone's looking to protect their own. And well, I don't. Should, I don't think why Chris did the SEC looked to yeah. help somebody else. Chris, Chris didn't present it as a slam dunk. He presented it as a, the commissioner has got to get on this and make this happen because the league needs it. And well, maybe they just, won't. Larry maybe Scott they won't tried this it. year and it didn't yeah. work. He was the one who went public with it, yep. and they just they said nope, not happening. Well, it'll be on the list of tasks for the new person to accomplish. Yeah, I, I think I. And I would I would say it's down on the list because I don't know how much power you have there. I think you have to control the things that are within your means. Well, TV contract is number about. one. That's yeah. the number one thing on the list is the TV contract. Yeah, I would say contracts, but yeah, contracts. You're right. It'll uh, it'll probably be multiple. Right, and they've got to find a way to get better distribution. You've got a pretty doggone good network. Now I'm not watching uh, the other networks because I don't really have to because basically. Uh, ESPN and the Fox take care of it. 
in terms of you know you just you talk about Alabama and LSU they show the best games and the best teams. They essentially they talk each about have all the time. Yeah, they essentially have two games each, and that gets you the best games and the best teams. And just in there, I watch during the week college football live. Mm. That stuff that they have, and they have multiple versions of that across multiple networks. And you're always talking about Ohio State. I mean, it seems I can name you 10 guys on Ohio State every year, and I shouldn't be able to. (laughs) But yet they just get so much exposure. So you've got to find a way to chip away at that stuff. And you've just got to find a way to put yourself out there that we are a first-rate, first-class conference, but we're not gaudy. We're not wannabes. And right now, the Pac-12, with your San Francisco and all that stuff, you come off as a complete and total wannabe. You're gaudy, but you can't back it up. You've done nothing to earn it. You basically were born into it, and you were handed it on a silver spoon, and you've done nothing to earn it, and you're trying to act like you've done something to earn it. You know, if you're uh, born on third base, don't act like you hit a triple. Uh, uh, just acknowledge you were born into money. And the Pac-12 right now is very uppity for no reason, and it needs to get at the ground level and build itself back up. Looking at 15 years, a decade and a half since USC won a national title in football. That was Pac-12's last national title in football. And in basketball, Arizona is coming up on, uh, it's more than 20 years, coming up on 25 now. That's too long. Yeah, they're not paying enough. I mean, get with it. Well, actually, they are paying enough, but this one-and-done stuff doesn't really, uh, it really doesn't work across the board when you think about it. But yet you try to get in that. It's kind of a vicious cycle that you get into in basketball. You try to recruit, recruit the best talent. And so if they want to come to your place, what are you going to do? Say no. Uh, and even though they're going to be gone, Arizona has three kids drafted last year, and they finished fifth in basketball. Well, how is that? Because their freshmen weren't prepared to compete at the level that other teams, juniors and seniors were, obviously. So it's sort of a mixed bag there. I don't know what the solution is. All right, well, Dennis Dodd isn't picking up. I don't know what he's uh, working on, but Yox tried to call him multiple times, so hopefully we'll be able to reschedule him. Uh, Other things we've been talking about this morning, uh, the night in the NBA, there were several games that caught our attention. The uh, teams are running fourth and fifth in the West, right behind the Jazz picked up wins. The Suns got a big game out of DeAndre Ayton. The Warriors blew out the Spurs. And the team that's right with the Jazz, the Clippers, beat the Kings 115-96. to So Clippers are 11-4, tied with the Lakers at 11-4. Best records in the West. Jazz a half game back at 10-4 with the chance to beat New Orleans tonight and get to 11-4 themselves. Yeah, I think that this is, uh, uh, hopefully everybody stays healthy and at least not for covid Although if you blow out your knee, what's the difference, I guess, as far as missing games. But I think it has an opportunity. I think we're seeing a little bit of separation now. Doesn't mean that these teams below, because there's a lot of quality players. When you have a Jokic and a Jamal Murray, they're capable of winning any single game they play. There's just no doubt about that. And Phoenix, uh, what a brilliant performance by DeAndre Ayton. He had, what, 26 and 17 and five block shots. Wow. 
I mean, that's what they drafted him number one for. I can't channel every single game that he's had in his two-plus years as a pro, but I'm guessing that was his best game ever. (laughs) And if he can do that, they're legitimate. I just don't know that he's, A, capable of doing that, and then the other players, you know, they have to do their thing. Booker's a fine player, obviously, and Chris Paul's still pretty good. But I think that there's a little separation now. And can we put the Jazz in the top three? I mean, I want to. Desperately, I want to. And they can get there. And right now they're there. Can they sustain it? Remains to be seen. But I like what I'm seeing and hearing from the Clippers. All right, Lakers and Bucks tonight on TNT at 530, followed by the Pelicans and the Jazz at 8. So you can check out some of the top teams in the NBA right there before the Jazz play the Pelicans. All right, we are joined now by Dennis Dodd, National College Football Writer for CBSSports.com. Dennis, good morning. How are you guys? Thanks for having me on. <laughs> we're, we're good. There are a lot of Utah fans <laughs> listening right now thinking, yeah. finally, turning the page. Uh, we could recount all the things that have gone wrong, but I think people are pretty aware of that. Um, I'm curious where the conference goes from here. And, and if in his final words, and you had a chance to talk to Larry Scott, and, and I know he's not the most credible source, and at the same time he's in the middle of it and probably does have an idea of what the league needs to do. Was there anything revealing? I know you had a chance to talk to him. Uh, yeah, I talked to him briefly last night, last night trying to confirm the news and you know, kind of asking him what his legacy would be. And he said, I don't know that for others to decide. But I did ask him, you know, had, you know, let's break this down. Had you gotten direct TV for the Pac-12 network, would we be having a different discussion right now? And he said, I don't know. You know, there was one AD told me that, you know, summing up his legacy, it was a series of failed strategies. And that was probably the best way to put it. When, you know, you talk about trying to play basketball games in China and having media days in Paramount Studios and the Rose Bowl, and meanwhile, losing market share, not winning games, losing traction and recruiting to the point where, as I wrote today, it's it's really a power four right now, guys. I know the Pac-12 is getting power five money, but competitively, recruiting-wise, perception-wise, it's a power four. So I don't want it to be too dramatic, Dennis, but is this conference at a crossroads? Yeah, I think so. Um, look, uh, at the end of the day, the networks are always going to pay for the West Coast markets. So whatever that looks like, you know, it, it's it, it's not going to fall off the earth. But you have the ACC now with their deal ramping up to 2036. They will pass the Pac-12 um, between now and 2025. You're going to have the CFP, the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and the Big 12 contracts all come up. And part of the reason... You know, it became untenable with Larry Scott as he signed too long a deal in, I want to say it was 2010, maybe a 12-year deal, to the point that the other Power Five conferences have been able to sign, you know, lap, if you will, the Pac-12 and sign new deals two and three times in that time frame. And it's left the Pac-12 behind revenue-wise that everything I just talked about, you know, kind of goes from there you, you don't have enough money for facilities you can't attract an urban Meyer if he was on the market wouldn't couldn't couldn't get him in the pac-12 and that's just one example dennis dodd national college football writer for cbssports.com join us in the wake of the uh, pac-12 moving on looking for a new commissioner with uh with larry scott out 
So I'm, I'm curious, Larry was always pushing, you know, new technology. Is this new TV deal really going to be a TV deal? Is it going to be a streaming deal too? Is CBS still going to be a player in college football? They don't have that SEC time slots available. They could put golf in it. They could do something else or they could go get a, a college football league. Is that in play? Do you have any idea? Yeah, the, the, the platforms you're talking about are in a state of flux. I'm still told that it's still going to be a linear cable and broadcast network platform. We still haven't switched over. There isn't that total momentum there to switch over to streaming. Um, and so that, and uh, even though we as consumers consume a lot of our stuff on streaming, you still don't have that big company like, you know, a Google or an Apple or somebody else saying, yeah, we'll pay you X for your rights. They're not there yet. And frankly, they don't have to be because they're multi-billion dollar companies. And these, these sort of contracts would be minuscule in comparison. So I don't think we're there yet. Um, yeah, you mentioned the technology, and then you mentioned something else. I forget the second part of the question. CBS, are they going to be a player in this? Uh, I, 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 you, look, I don't have any inside information. I think they are. Um, they have that 3.30 Eastern lucrative window coming up in three more years. I think there's three more years left on the deal mm-hmm. with, uh, with CBS, and I don't think that's going to be bought out early. Um, yeah, I, I think I think there's a chance there for the Pac-12, for the Big 12, maybe for a mix of conferences, because that window has proven to be too lucrative. Mm-hmm. You know, the SEC made it great. You know, you had, you had the biggest names at, you know, a time and everybody was watching. You had the biggest games, basically. But I think you can make you know, a star, if I could use that term, out of a conference or a combination of conferences getting the best games and putting them in that time slot. So I think there is interest. And I look, I don't speak for CBS at all. I I just work for the uh, for the digital side. But as a consumer, I think there'd be some interest there. Does Larry's successor have to have more uh, influence, more experience, expertise from the athletic standpoint or the business standpoint? Uh, I think you've got to get both. You've got to get uh, you've either got to get an AD, uh, a commissioner, um, someone with commissioner experience, someone from the business side. That's why you see a guy like Burke Magnus's name from ESPN could be wonderful. Oliver Luck would be my first choice. Um, the former XFL commissioner and AD at, at West Virginia, number two guy at the NCAA, respected by everybody in the industry. He's got the chops for all that. Basically, somebody who can sit across the table from those uh, networks and negotiate a deal because they've been left behind. That's what Larry Scott did so well. We should mention that. You know, he capitalized on a on a sleepy product in 2010 when he came in and got a big, big rights fee and lost the network and everything else network didn't work out. But he did what he was told to do initially. That's what this new person has to do, you know, bundling those rights. And maybe some of them do go on streaming. I don't know. I'm just uh, spitballing, you know, to drive people to that because that's how ESPN2 launched. Their first big telecast was North Carolina Duke in 1994, and everybody figured out, well, we got to get ESPN2 on our cable system. That's how this works. So, and, and it would help if, if the likes of USC and UCLA and Washington, um, Oregon to a lesser extent, were good. Uh, the problem is the product isn't very good right now. 
Larry Scott's the fourth, I just figured this out, the fourth commissioner in history, history, uh, to not win a national championship in one of the two major revenue-producing sports during his tenure. The last was Harvey Schiller, who was at the SEC for five years from 86 to 90, and there were two others from the SEC way, way, way back when. So Larry Scott in the modern era is the only one. Dennis Dodd joining us, national college football writer for CBSSports.com. You mentioned some of these big names, and I assume that hiring for a commissioner in some respects is like hiring for a coach. And we know when jobs come open, there are schools that are down, and that's why they're open. And coaches look at those schools and they think, A, that's where careers go to die. No, thank you. Or they think, (laughs) that's been messed up. There's nowhere to go but up. I really want in on that job. And I'm curious how these big players look at the Pac-12. Do they think that's where careers go to die, or do they think that's been messed up? I can look like the hero pretty quickly. Yeah, writing about commissioners isn't very sexy at all until there's stuff like this. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're when you're talking about a crossroads, or when you're talking about name, image, and likeness, or what they're going to do with a pandemic. And I think this is one of those times. No, I think it's a very attractive job. For the, ba- for the basic reason that I mentioned, there's lots to work with with those Western markets. The networks are always going to be uh, interested in L.A., Phoenix, Seattle, San Francisco. Um, who am I leaving out? Um, Salt Lake City. Yeah. Uh, Denver and Portland. You know, to Denver and Portland. So that, the combination of those markets uh, and keeping those together, you know, not letting you know, some schools leave, um, which I, I don't know if that would ever happen in the in the Pac-12 uh, is, is would be very attractive to somebody. You know, there'd be cost. I, I don't I don't understand how the Pac-12 presidents ever got to the point where they decided to pay Larry Scott five million dollars a year. But you know, they've they've shown a willingness to do it. Five million dollars a year, seven seven million in rent for the for the digs in San Francisco. So the money is there for somebody who wants it. And I, I, I do, you know, Oliver Luck, the more and more I think about it, would be perfect. He's not working. He's accomplished. He'd come cheap. I think he'd come for less than $5 million, and he's got a proven track record. So, um, you know, people would call him about, hey, we've got this NCA problem. What do you think about it? That's something that could never happen with Larry Scott. He didn't have experience in that thing. Does the new commissioner just have to do a better job of being a politician and shaking hands and kissing babies? Oh, look, a lot of these guys uh, are very friendly, but they, they're not out in public very much. Uh, I think that's part of it, but a small part of it. You, you've got to monetize your your property uh, and keep the presidents happy. Um, you know, no, I, I don't think you necessarily have to have Gary Seinfeld is your commissioner, you know, you know, jollying all the time. Um, you know, Greg Sankey doesn't get out what well, he gets out, but he doesn't say things a lot. But when he does, they have gravity to them. He, what he says matters. And that's what has to happen in this league. That like, hey, the Pac-12 is going to be a player in trying to shape NIL. Um, you know, I thought one of the biggest downfalls was on September 5th, the Pac-12 comes out with this big announcement, daily testing. That was a game changer. Remember how optimistic that was? Well, great. Well, they sat on that information when they should have taken it to the counties, L.A. County, Oregon, whatever, and said, hey, here's a reason we should be able to practice now, and then we can plan on playing. Instead, 
the Big Ten took the technology or, or was on a similar track and got ahead of them and said, hey, we are playing. And then the Pac-12 followed them. But to the point that I wrote a story during the season that it was literally, you guys remember this, that letter from Keaton Slovis and the USC players that notified the governor, I think, that, yeah. hey, we, you know, we can practice. The governor at that point was, thought, he said publicly, well, you can only gather in groups of six. Well, they can still practice football. He didn't understand that you really can't. And so that letter pushed him, and the, and the fact that they could do daily testing towards the point that the Pac-12 could put. Dennis, we appreciate you coming on and, uh, and looking ahead into the Pac-12's future with us. It's going to be interesting to see where this goes. I suspect we'll be reading you a lot. Thanks for coming on and spending a few minutes with us. All right, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Yep. Dennis Dodd, you can read him at CBSSports.com, national college football writer, and the Pac-12 is in the market for a new commissioner now with Larry Scott out on June 30th. DJ and PK, we are out of time. Scotty's coming up next. Stay with us.